Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> If you swim with dolphins, keep it to yourself. You ready to start? <laughs> Speaking of keep it to yourself. Oh, just they should have kept Annabelle to themselves. <laughs> they shouldn't have unleashed Annabelle on us, unsuspecting horror <sighs> enthusiasts. Sweet my cat had something little. to say. Yeah, I um, I have thoughts about it. And I, it's, I, I feel so complicated about this one. Hmm. Maybe we'll do, okay. I'm gonna do the facts, and then I'll I'll, I'll explain why I was so conflicted about it. Because mm-hmm. the facts explain why, for me at least. I don't know. Okay. Because fun fact for everybody, I watched half of the movie on like Tuesday or something, and I texted Kate and I said, "Oh my god, Kate, I can't believe I'm gonna say this. I think I like this movie." And Kate was like, "Oh, okay." And I was like, "Yeah." Then I watched the rest of it, and I mm-hmm. texted her and I went, "Never mind. I take yep. it back." <laughs> But I know why now, okay. I think. Okay. So I'm going to give you the facts. Also, we watched Annabelle. We watched um, Annabelle. I, yeah, we watched Annabelle. The first one, like the original. I bump my mic. Just like, you know. Bump it. Bump it. <laughs> those things you wear in your hair in the 90s. <laughs> bump it. Bump it. <laughs> I hated those things, but also I wanted one. Yeah. Okay, this movie was made in uh, 2014. Um, and this is where I was like, What? It was directed by John Leonetti. Do you yes, remember this name? I do. That's the cinematographer for the first movie. Yeah. Which is why I was watching this and I was like, it feels so much more like the first one than yes. the second one did. Yes. Because there's those shots. They have the almost exact shot where she's like walking and she comes from like another direction and you're like, it's a ghost and it's just her. Yeah. Really cool shot. And I was like, this feels so much like the first one. I wonder... If they just, like, were, you know, paying attention to it more. Didn't know. Turns out it was directed by the cinematographer. That makes sense. Yeah. So he didn't, he did not do the cinematography, but I think you can tell that he clearly, like, yeah, yeah, because, like, a lot of the shots felt similar. Yeah. Um, And the lighting itself, like, none of the Conjuring movies, I think, have that exciting lighting. I'm not that into it. They're very blue. They're very, like, cool Hmm. movies. They're not very warm. Mm. So I think any warm toned moments like stick out which is like fine that's cool you know i like it but this is why i didn't like it (laughs) it was written by gary doberman doberman i think it's doberman yeah who co-wrote it 2017 which i like it 2017 it's fine yeah you know he also wrote the rest of the annabelle movies and the nun (laughs) yeah As soon as I read that, I went, okay, well, I get it now. He also wrote, and it says, because he co-wrote It, you know, it says, wrote on his own It Chapter 2. Ew, okay, Okay. well, yeah, we can see what (laughs) happened then. And It Chapter 2 is, I I do not like. It's a very bad movie, I think. And so when I read that, I was like, so I loved the parts where it was just like the scares and there weren't a lot, there wasn't a lot of dialogue. It was just focusing on like the scares and the camera angles. Because I love the cinematographer from the first Conjuring movie. Mm. But then as soon as it had a plot and a storyline, I was like, this is fucking weird. I don't like this. 
turns out I just hate the writing, love the camera angles. Uh, so. That makes sense, yeah. I was wondering when you said that, I was like, I bet you love the cinematography, but the plot sucks. Yeah, I did not like the that. writing. And yeah, it really takes a turn for the worse. Like, it started out okay, where I was like, okay, like, I can make fun of this, but also like, eh, it's just, you know, your classic, like, big budget horror movie. Mm, yeah. Um, But then it just gets worse and worse. And I'm like, the person who wrote this, I think, is not great. And then I saw the other things he wrote, and I went, oh, okay. <laughs> and, like, maybe he's done other things that are fine. You know, I don't know. Um, okay, but we'll get into other things. So the person who did do the cinematography was uh, James Neist, um, who actually I really like as well, because he did Hush. Oh, Hush and is good. Haunting of Blind Manor. Uh, so, my entire heart. And he's done a lot of other things as well, but... Those were the two that I was like, oh, I love these two movies. I can see now where this kind of came from because, like, the cinematography felt very personal to the characters and, like, Mm. it felt like you really got a sense of, like, who they were, how they were feeling in the moment, which I feel like you get a lot of in, like, Bly Manor especially. Mm, So I was like, cool, okay. I understand what I liked about this and what I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Music was still Joseph Bishara. Said said both names that time. Don't have to dub them in. (laughs) expertly dub in you mean oh they were beautiful (laughs) no one even noticed i think no especially not when you said this is nikki from the future (laughs) shut up kate (laughs) um this is what blew my mind though um do you know what the budget was 30 million 6.5 6.5 yeah so here's here's the weird thing and luckily i have all my notes in the last ones so this movie had a budget of 6.5 million Uh uh-huh okay the last movie that we covered, Conjuring 2, had 40 million. Yeah, that's why I guess lower than it. And the first one had 20. Yeah. So even the first one, when they weren't sure that this would be like, you know, a, a series of movies, they were like 20 million. And then the second one, when they're gearing up for like a shit ton of movies, 40 million. Then they did this one. And I, my theory is they knew that the Conjuring series was going to take off. But because this was like not going to have Ed and Lorraine Warren really... Mm. And wasn't going to be, like, as involved in The Conjuring. I feel like they were like, just in case it sucks, let's But do you know how much it That's made? like a Blumberg budget. Yeah. Like, that's... It was not a lot. I'm going to guess it made... 20 million. 257.6 million. Um, <laughs> this movie did well. Excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? I think that people were really excited about a haunted doll... Because it is real. I think that because my, again, my theory is that because this doll is real and you can literally go see it in a museum, they wanted this to be even more real than like the first two movies where like there's nothing really left to prove those movies. Whereas Annabelle literally has a doll sitting in a museum that you can go look at. So they were like, oh, I gotta see this. Like, that's my theory. So I think it did better than they anticipated. I think they Wowza. gave it a shit budget and they were like, who knows? And especially because they had a different director, mm. different writer. Like, I think it was a gamble a little bit to be like, we're going to make these movies. They could be shit. Let's just in case. Let's not put all our money into it. <laughs> Interesting. So, and I haven't looked, but I'm really excited to see what the like budget will be for other Annabelle movies. Like, I wonder, because mm. there's so many of them. I wonder if yeah, they realized that they were great or if they were like, just in case (laughs) well this one was panned critically so yeah yeah so you know but that's the facts that i have so 
it, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't take too many just because, like, a lot of the same people worked on it. But I was intrigued by the writer, cinematographer, like, switch. The yeah. director switched. That does make sense now. And it really clicked of why I hated it. But yeah. also, like, I really did. Why you're drawn to it. Yeah. Despite yourself. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know what time it is, though. Yep. I was wondering if you knew. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. I have a fun one for this one. Here's my here's my summary. Take the movie Child's Play and the movie Rosemary's Baby, mash them together, and that's what this is. Okay. I have seen neither of those ah! movies. Okay, then I'll give you a real one. I'll give you a real one. Doll is possessed by weird murderer who kills her parents. Now the doll wants to kill more parents. Yeah, that's accurate. I mean, yeah. And uh, you haven't seen the two, but literally, Kate, <laughs> the beginning of this movie is like Child's Play. Oh. There is like, I don't want to ruin it for you, but like there's a part, the beginning of Child's Play, you know, Chucky. Yeah. The doll. Literally, Chucky is a serial killer or like a bank robber. I think he's a bank robber or a criminal. He might be a serial killer. Either way, he's like a bad dude who is killed by like police. But in his last moments, he's like, I'll put myself in this doll. So Willy's Wonderland. So Willy's Wonderland. <laughs> so, okay, what I'm saying is take Rosemary's Baby, uh-huh. Willy's Wonderland, yes. Child's Play, put him in a blender, and then boom, you got yourself this movie. Because that's literally what it is. Like, in chi- they did that, and I went, oh, so this is Child's Play. But then there's that moment where she's in, like, an apartment building, and she's a mom that's trying to Rosemary's do things. Baby, I went, yeah. that's Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> so I was just like, Okay. But what's the real, what's the real summary? Because surely they don't just mash together movies like I did. Well, interestingly enough, <gasps> no. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, if you like Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> no. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> this is from Rotten Tomatoes. John Form thinks he's found the perfect gift for his expectant wife, Mia, a vintage doll in a beautiful white dress. However, the couple's delight doesn't last long. One terrible night, devil worshippers invade their home and launch a violent attack against the couple. When the cultists try to summon a demon, they smear a bloody rune on the nursery wall and drip blood on Mia's doll, thereby turning the former object of beauty into a conduit for ultimate evil. Ballsy move to call this thing a thing of beauty. It's terrifying from day one. From day one. Okay. One of my qualms. (laughs) I hope it's the same one I had because I wrote it down. Annabelle is supposedly part of a set. She is much larger than her compatriots. Is she like the queen doll? She's so much bigger. She was like, bow down. She's like, move, bitches. Ten has arrived. Move, I'm a doll. Move, I'm a doll. She, I just love that she takes off this box. And I'm like, this, honestly, give this woman an Oscar for even sounding a little bit like she wanted this. She was like, oh, you found her. If someone had put that box in front of me and lifted it, I'd go, fucking no thank you. Why did they make its face so detailed and creepy? All the other dolls looked normalish. Okay, also, I love that they were like, a beautiful doll in a gorgeous white dress. I'm like, literally every other doll is also in a white dress. So? Like, <laughs> that doesn't make her special. I think Same bitch, why are you special? <laughs> I think it's interesting that the original Annabelle was like a Raggedy Ann type yes. doll. And so it's like, okay, well, you glammed her up a little bit. She's a porcelain nightmare now. They didn't even glam. Oh, my God. They were like, how about we just give her so many face lines? How about you see Satan when you look at her? <laughs> Honestly, Satan's probably hot and this doll sucks. Yeah. I've met this doll, okay? <laughs> I can tell you in person. She also sucks. 
the the movie one. Mm-hmm. I would never. I was about to say you haven't. Okay. No, 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 no. I would never shit talk Boy. a real haunted doll because no. that's how you die. You know, I don't fuck with that shit. Mm. You know, I won't even name the one that no. really scares PTD. me. PTD. Yeah. I won't. Mm-mm. I'm so sorry. Ugh. Goodbye. I we blew a kiss because I got so scared. That's Angie. Fair. I can't see her again, Kate. I don't even know if she's there. She's behind you. Don't turn around. Angie loves me. If she was behind (laughs) me, she would probably be bringing me something like cookies or Mm -hmm. giving me a little kissy. Don't make that face. (laughs) I know you're lying because Angie, unless you're surprised because she's like, got balloons. (laughs) I know you would never do that, Angie. I love you. (laughs) Love you, Angie. But yeah, this doll is uh, (laughs) gross. She opens that box and she, I just couldn't. When she was like, oh, it's beautiful. I was like, stop lying to your husband. <laughs> he doesn't. He's, He's like, dumb, not that dumb. <laughs> Men are dumb, but my God, like, <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing at that part. And then when the granny at the end, like, sees her and it's like, oh, she's so darling. I'm like, are you seeing? Are you seeing that. this doll? She's like high up on this shelf, this fucking child-sized doll. And she's just like, oh, I have to have her. I'd be like... Take it. It's free. Yours. They're like, Get it out of here. Oh, she's a collector's item. Okay, that's, you that's know, fine. something. But if you don't know that, when you look at her, you say, get me out of eyes, like, I get me out of eyesight of that doll. I don't want to look at it, and I don't want her to look at me. Mm-mm. I just could not believe that they were like, yeah, let's make her so cute. <laughs> like, uh, you can make cute things scary. That Raggedy Ann doll is scary just by the fact that it's a demon or whatever it's supposed to be. Just keep it a raggedy and doll, I feel like. Mm. The simplicity of that would have scared me more than this doll that has like a full-on sculpted face. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. I mean, the guy that made her was there, and I'm sure I'm sure he was told how to make it. But even he didn't seem to care about this doll. He was like... <laughs> he handed it to me with a bag over her head and went, put this somewhere. And I was like, okay. I'm off the clock. <laughs> Pretty much. He was like, ah, I'm done. <laughs> but, and like, that doesn't... You know, I'm sure she was really hard to make and she's painted well and like they aged her well, I guess. I just don't like the design of her. But like, listen, whatever. Maybe I'm wrong. People, 265 point whatever million dollars don't lie. People love this doll, I guess. (sighs) All right. Is it time for Nerd Corner? It is time for Nerd Corner. I've heard a lot about this Nerd Corner, so I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, so I had plans for this nerd <laughs> corner i was going to continue my thread about why we like horror like i said i would do yeah and then i watched the movie <laughs> <laughs> and now we have more important things to uh-huh. talk about and i can't in good conscience continue covering old psych studies on horror when there is so much to address about the problematic annabelle plot points please <sighs> i this is what made me hate it the most and I'm i because so i know you're going to talk about obviously because we talked about it a little bit because I texted you and I was like, they did not end it like that, did they? And I was they? like, yeah, they did. Like, uh, I mean, obviously, if you're not, you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, this movie has some shit ending that yeah. is problematic as fuck. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it. So if you haven't seen it, I guess go watch it. But you can also just listen to us tear into it if you want. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to give like a lightning quick summary of yeah. like why I'm angry. Let's do it. So basically, Mia and John are a married couple. They're, well, she is quite pregnant. He's a doctor or he's right. looking to become a doctor. He's so like, like med school or Yeah, something. he's in med school. Yeah. And so that's what they call it. <laughs> he's trying to become one of them doctors, you see. He's got doctor classes. I know. Doctor classes. <laughs> <laughs> we aren't so different, you and me. We're not so different. <laughs> so he's going to be a doctor. She is very pregnant. She sews at home, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Well, one night, their next-door neighbors, whose daughter ran away years right. before. It was like three years ago, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. joined some weird cult. Well, um, Mia wakes up in the middle of the night, and you see in this really cool shot through it the window. It was a good shot. I thought it was brave. It was like a, was it lightning, or was it just the light on and then it turned off? It was Either on and then it turned okay. off. Okay. It was great. It was amazing. So you see someone come in and murder the neighbors, and right. Mia wakes up. She's like, I heard a scream. John goes over to investigate. He comes running out, says, call the ambulance. This is a funny fact I have later. But Mia goes in. She calls 911. Right. I'll get I'll get back to the 911 thing. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and then as, like, she's trying to, like, leave the house or, like, get off the phone or whatever, she is attacked because right. the people from the next house. door are in the house now. Yeah. And uh, John comes in, fights him off. The cops arrive, kill one of them. But one of them was like, I like your doll. And was a woman and, like, (laughs) dies holding Annabelle. She dies by suicide. And so then Mia gets stabbed in the fucking stomach by one of them. And she's on bed rest. And I'm like, okay, well, this is going to go yellow wallpaper real quick. (laughs) And long story short, like, there's some weird shit. There's a fire. She has the baby. Baby's fine. But they do move because she is quite horrified. She's traumatized thinks place is haunted or yeah has decided it's not good to stay there yes Which, like, fair enough yeah <laughs> like so they move to a new apartment building and weird stuff is continuing to happen she goes to a bookstore looking for a book on the occult she meets the bookstore owner evelyn who is also their neighbor yes yeah thank you i was like they know her somewhere else because they meet they don't yeah. meet but they meet eyes mm-hmm. in the building and they kind of know of each other yes so and evelyn owns the bookstore mm-hmm. and helps mia find books on right. like devil stuff right because she's like you know i'm old i'm wise like i can tell when someone's lying to me just tell me so i can help you yeah i was like did i get the right words there right (laughs) and uh, so they become friends and evelyn is always there for mia and a lot of like crazy shit happens that we'll get to right but the most important part here is that evelyn tells mia a story about how she and her daughter were in a car accident and her daughter died. Yeah. And it was because Evelyn fell asleep at the wheel. Right. And it's really sad. And Evelyn attempted to die by suicide and was unsuccessful or it didn't happen that way. I don't want to say unsuccessful because that's problematical phrasing. Right. But she did not die. Right. And she said that her daughter appeared to her and said, like, it's not your time yet. There's something bigger for you. And so in, like, this big climax when, like, the demon is asking, because the demon that we've learned at this point wants the baby's soul. And at that point, you kind of find out it's just a soul. You start to assume it's a baby, Mm -hmm. but then you're like, oh, it's any soul. And a baby can't willingly give its soul. It can't consent. And so you know, but Mia doesn't, that the demon is trying to trick her into off or, like, coerce her into offering her soul. Right. And Mia's about to do it because she, the demon says that it wants wants Mia. Yeah, it says it wants Leah. And she's like, you can't have Leah, but I guess you can have me. Right. And John and Evelyn burst in. John pulls her away from the window. Evelyn sees the open window, grabs the doll, jumps out the window and dies. And that's it. Yeah. Like, that's all you really get And then they never fucking say her name again. Even though there are more scenes after, they don't talk about her at all. Nope. They don't show them being, like upset about this they don't show them mourning her one because they literally bring her into the story for this yes you see her in like passing glances a little bit of like oh there's this woman 
oh, she has a bookstore. But you never get that much backstory. You get her daughter and that's about it. And then all of a sudden she dies for this family that they, she doesn't fucking know. And like, they don't know her. Mm-mm. And you're supposed to be like, oh, what a beautiful sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That she, no, like, no. No. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> and this is part of a larger trend, which right. we're going to get into. So we talked about a way that horror can be subversive. Yeah. It can make us reconsider prejudice or, like, point out societal flaws. We talked about that fairly broadly with satire, and we're mm-hmm. likely going to talk about it more specifically for future films. Right. But there's also the flip side of that coin. Horror as reinforcement of the status quo. Yeah. What do I mean by this? What's status quo? And is it different when it's a period piece? Let's dig into it. So the two most glaring issues with Annabelle are the treatment of Evelyn as a black woman and the treatment of motherhood. Yeah. Let me be clear. I am not a mother. I do not intend to be a mother. I love being an aunt. Yeah. But I also firmly believe that humans should not be reduced to that status of parenthood. So it's not like, oh, you're just a parent. No, that's not what I'm saying. In the U.S. at least, when someone becomes a mother, that becomes their primary identifier to the public. Yeah. They are a mother first and a human second. Like no matter what they do. No matter what. And if that's fulfilling... For you, awesome. I will never try to tell someone that the way they experience the world within their role as a parent is wrong. Right. But I don't want mother to become replacement for personhood. Yeah. Where your entire identity is subsumed by this and other people only see you for how you provide for children instead of you as an independent person that happens to have children. It's just, yeah, and it's it's just problematic too just because like it doesn't really matter what you do as a mother. People will criticize oh, you. Oh, yeah, mom shaming. So like if they turn your whole identity into being a mother and then you're constantly criticized for it, mm-hmm. it's like you become just criticized. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like I've just, there's so many movies and in, in real life too where people are just like constantly shitting on the way people parent their kids. I'm like, shut the fuck up, it's not your kid. Unless it's genuinely harmful. Just shut up. Like, just shut up. Yeah. <sighs> especially because you're making that their whole life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay. I'll let you go. I just yeah. get heated for a second. No, you're good. <laughs> so like this also aligns with like how I feel about quote unquote stay at home moms. Mm-hmm. Because it's often said as like this denigrating thing. Right. And it's like if you had the agency to choose to stay home, awesome. If you find it fulfilling, awesome. But it's hard as hell to do. And I have so much respect oh, for yeah. folks that choose that. And there are some really amazing books out there that I've read that are like talk about the undervaluation of care work. So like right. how we don't respect the labor of care and we underpay those that do provide it. So like elder care, child care, right. all of those like care work things, we don't pay much for it. Oh, and God, we no. say that it's like, oh, it's just what you should do because you're a woman. It's yeah. really fucked up. Like I, I, I work in that field or used to mm-hmm. and still do. And uh, it pays like barely no wage a lot of times. It's awful. I'm taking care of children. Like, I don't understand. And also, not to, like, keep bringing stuff up and getting more mad. But when women do it, it's like, you should be doing that. That makes sense. Blah, mm-hmm. blah. Here's the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. A man changes, like, a diaper or becomes a stay-at-home dad, and all of a sudden, they are a god. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I had a friend recently, and, like, good on him. Like, I love this. They, My friends just had a baby, and he made a post where he was like, stop saying I'm incredible for staying home and, like, taking care of this kid. When literally my wife does so much more and I'm helping and that's mm-hmm. great, but I'm not any better than her. And it was great because I was like, thank you. Like, it's, yes. So many men are just like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry. You're no, bringing no. up so many things I'm angry about. Oh, so yeah. I'm like, good. Let's yell. <laughs> yeah. So like, as I mentioned, like my issue is when it's compulsory. Right. When a mother is expected to stay home because that's what, quote, women do. Right. So first of all, like that idea is cis-normative and heteronormative, meaning that it's like reinforcing the belief that being cisgender and being heterosexual is the normal and desired way of being. Right. 
there are a lot of ways that something can transmit that message of mm-hmm. like normativity in that way. So like absence of queer or trans characters, lack of depth to those few queer and or trans characters that are shown in stories, or the sacrifice of, of those characters, as we talked about in the barrier gaze trope. Yeah. In Annabelle, we see one white couple, a husband and wife, comfortably middle class. John is a doctor. Mia does not have a job outside of the home because being at home is a job. Right. And now one could argue that in the 60s and 70s, when this is set, queer folks weren't often publicly out, but that doesn't mean they didn't exist. Exactly. And they just don't speak about it at all. And we could even dig deeper into that by looking at like how cis normativity is actually a colonial construct. Right. I'm not going to do that right now because that deserves... <laughs> but just know that we could. I could. <laughs> All right? Because there's that quote, like, queer people have existed forever. And yeah. then, like, indigenous folks have pushed back on that saying they were just people before. Because, like, you, like, colonizers put the idea of gender into this space. It didn't exist that way before you put it here. So it's not like queer people have existed forever. It's people have existed people. along the spectrum of just Ev- like- everything. And then colonizers had to put it anyway. I could get it so far into it. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I'm only laughing because I was like, this movie. <laughs> it brought up so much rage about so many things. Oh, I got so great. mad about everything. Oh. Anyway, John and Mia stand in for the relatable couple. Right. We talked about how relatability is centered on whiteness. And also they're like young, you mm-hmm. know. And so they're, it gets, yeah. you've got like a mix of both where it's like they're not an older couple but they're also young enough for that, like, people who aren't parents can, like, sort of jive with them, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit and be like, okay, I kind of understand what you're doing. But then older people, too, who have kids are like, oh, yeah, parents, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But also, so they're, only if you're white. So they're just this nice, white, relatable couple that did nothing wrong, were targeted by Satanists, and eventually persevere through their goodness and the sacrifice of Evelyn. <laughs> Which brings me to what I am very yes. angry about. Hell Yeah. Evelyn, drag her ass. <laughs> incredibly prepared, incredibly portrayed by Alfre Woodard. I was yeah. I wasn't totally sure on how to pronounce that, and I meant to look it up. I had in all caps look up, but I actually had the line above that in all caps too because I was very angry, so it didn't stand out enough. I get it. Sometimes you write in all caps and things slip through the cracks. They <laughs> the do. caps cracks. The caps cracks, if you will. If you will. <laughs> yeah. So there is a trope that is very uncomfortable to say, but white discomfort is not more important than black lives. And it's also an intentionally named trope to highlight societal issues. So the trope is called magical Negro, sometimes called mystical instead of magical. Regardless, it plays out the same. This is not a new trope. The term itself was popularized by Spike Lee in 2001, but it wasn't a new concept. The exact narrative... Sorry, I'm going in all different directions because I'm so mad. It happened. The exact narrative use of this trope differs based on genre because it permeates everything. But generally what you see is a black character that possesses power, usually vaguely or explicitly mystical in nature, but sometimes is simply like wisdom and unending, unending patience. Yeah. But they are only shown using those abilities to help a white protagonist succeed. Right. That's, so yeah. here's an excerpt from an article about a talk that Spike Lee gave at Yale in 2001. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I see Spike Lee as like one name, not like a first name, last name. So to me, it's kind of like saying Cher. Yeah. So I say Spike Lee, and I was like, maybe I should call him Lee. And I was like, no, no, that feels wrong. It's Spike Lee. It's got to be Spike <laughs> it's Lee. It's got to be Spike say Lee. His whole name. Got to say it. So this is a quote. During a master's tea with an audience of more than 200 students in the Calhoun College dining hall, Lee cited four recent films in which there is a magical, mystical Negro character: The Family Man, What Dreams May Come, The Legend of Bagger Vance, and The Green Mile. Mm. In the latter film, Lee noted, a black inmate cures a prison guard of disease simply by touching him. 
in the legend of bagger vance a black man with all these powers reaches a young white male or teaches a young white male how to golf like a champion yeah, that's actually, yeah, we'll get into that. The film director, who frequently inspired the laughter of his audience as he peppered his talk with expletives, was unreserved in his criticism of the new this new characterization of black folks, posing to his audience the question, how is it that black people have these powers but they use them only for the benefit of white people? Noting that the legend of Bagger Vance takes place in Depression-era Georgia, a time when lynching of black folks in the South was commonplace, Lee stated incredulously, blacks are getting lynched left and right, and Bagger Vance is more concerned about improving Matt Damon's golf swing. Oh my god. Yes. So obviously there's more to like that yeah, entire yeah. thing. And I'll link the article in the extended show notes. He gave several examples, but how about a few more? Ooh, so yep. he said the family man, what dreams may come, the legend of Bagger Vance, the Green Mile. Let's also look at Dick Halloran and The Shining. Yep. Oda Mae Brown and Ghost. Giselle Gay Hartman and Jeepers Creepers. Don Shirley and the Green Book. And Jolene and the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Yeah. So this is far from an exhaustive list. Oh, I literally yeah, just is... pulled a few that I recognized from each decade. It's a long fucking list. And I mean, the Queen's Gambit is new. So like, yeah. just realize that like this mm-hmm. is still happening whether we like notice it. It's not, I will say in some movies, it's like more subtle. I'm doing finger quotes, like yeah. subtle. But like, you know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. black people have been used in movies forever to like further the plot or life of someone mm-hmm. who is white. And they get very little in return in these movies. Yeah. Or they get fucking killed. Yeah, I like, quote about that. Oh, my God. Just frustrating. Especially because, like, these movies aren't old. No. So you'll notice, like, from that list, this transcends genre. It can yeah. be horror films, comedies, dramas, everything. Right, yeah. But the trope, like, the core of the trope is wonderfully summarized by TV Tropes, who has, like, this acerbic quality that I just cannot mimic. <laughs> so here is a direct quote. With such deep spiritual wisdom, and sometimes, though not always, actual supernatural powers, you might wonder why the magical Negro doesn't step up and save the day himself. This will never happen. So enlightened and selfless is he that he has no desire to gain glory for himself. He only wants to help those who need guidance, which just happens to mean those who are traditionally viewed by Hollywood as better suited for protagonist roles, not to say his own oppressed people. In fact, the magical Negro really seems to have no goal in life other than helping white people achieve their fullest potential. He may even be ditched or killed outright once he's served that purpose. If he does express any selfish desires, it will only be in the context of helping the white protagonists realize their own racism and thereby come become better people. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what happens. They're no. always there to better the plot and lives of the white people yeah. in the movies. And, it, and sometimes, like with this movie, it is so aggressively in your face. Mm-hmm. And they don't even try to hide it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me? This movie was made in 2014. Like, really? You're still, like, and I shouldn't be surprised because, like, it's still happening. But it's just, I don't know. I'm just upset that, like, this had to go through so many stages of being approved and this and that. And everybody watched it and went, yep, good. Really? Yeah. Like, just the script itself had to be okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they cast this, like, I'm curious to know... When this person wrote it, did they outright say, oh, it has to be a black woman? Because if they did, what the fuck? Even more so is the fact that, like, they probably just had that in their head the whole time. Oh, oh yeah. It just makes me so mad. Yeah. And it, it's just so frustrating that, like, they probably knew from the start that, like, this character was going to be not white. Mm-mm. And it's, 
And like, just to also point out, and I want to be clear that this doesn't just happen to black people. And it's very upsetting that it happens to a lot of like people of color. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just black people, but it unfortunately like predominantly is. But yeah, you get a lot of that too in like Asian cultures where yeah, that that is a very um, upsetting thing as well. Yes. Uh, But yeah, but it's just very unfortunate that. It happens so much and so often yep. and doesn't seem like it's stopping anytime soon. No. So, like, why is tracking and recognizing this important? Right. Because representation matters. Yeah. And not in the way that it's often levied, like, oh, we finally got three people of color on the board of this Fortune 500 company. In reality, it might be one person of color <laughs> on the board. Anyway, but like the way that we – it's important because the way that we depict marginalized people in stories has real-world outcomes. Yeah. It's not just a movie when it's reinforcing oppressive norms. It's not just a piece of entertaining fiction when it further entrenches harmful stereotypes and reduces people to side characters in their own stories. In Annabelle, Evelyn's sole purpose is to die at the right time so it helps a white woman. Her own backstory is only relevant insofar as it sets up her sacrifice and basically demonstrates why Evelyn's life isn't as important as Mia's. Literally. It's fucked up. And it reflects the wider societal disinvestment in supporting and valuing black lives. So that's society. (laughs) Ugh. Which is in itself a horror. Which is in itself. <laughs> yeah. Quite the horror. And that's what's so... And, like, obviously there's way more things that are more upsetting oh. than this. But mm. what's also upsetting about it is, like, if they had just not done this bullshit, I thought this movie could have been fine. I texted you. I did like it. Yeah. And when I texted you, I hadn't even met Evelyn's character at that point. Besides, mm. like, that look in the hallway. Yeah. So I knew that she would be part of it. I didn't realize how exploitative it was going yeah. to be. I, I kind of had an assumption that it wouldn't be great. And I was like, we'll probably talk about this. Like, they're not going to give her much of a backstory. And that really sucks. And like, I'm ready for that. Yeah. Had no idea how bad it was going to be. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't understand why it feels needed. Because it's not. It's just so egregious. That like, character could have easily been white. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Like, I, I don't understand why it ha- I don't know. I... It's, like, one of those things, TV Tropes also mentioned this, and, like, other theorists, like, uh, Roxanne Gay Mm -hmm. and, like, Spike Lee have talked about this. It is not my theorization, but they talk about, like, the way that it's supposedly honoring, like, the idea of inclusion and representation of saying, look, we have a black character, but how are you treating that character? That's what I'm saying, too. What is their story arc telling us? That they're disposable? I think they're hearing people call for representation, Mm -hmm. which they should. They should you should fucking want to see yourself in media without that person being like killed. So they see these calls for like, please, I want to see myself represented in these stories. Mm-hmm. And they think just putting them in at all mm-hmm. is fine. And they think it's like this, basically, I don't, I can't speak to what people when they make this are thinking, right. but the theory is that they're like, okay, well I'm going to make this person that is so perfect that no one could find fault with them. So I'm going to like show you how good black folks are and then i'm gonna kill them because they're too pure for this world and it's like you're not doing good no like you are not doing a good thing by having this story you should have complex characters like literally no one is arguing that evelyn was a great person no no reason for her to die for this family she did not really know like i I don't i all they're telling black folks when they watch this movie is Mm -hmm. that like your life's not quite as important Mm -hmm. as these white people and it further, like, comforts white people of being, like, don't worry, you are always the center of your story. Like, you are always the center of every story. Right. 
Like, don't worry. Even though, like, Evelyn was so great. Like, she did it for you, though. Like, it becomes this horrible, like, yes, they're, they're, they're getting representation, but, like, what are you telling them? You're, like, you're telling people horrible things. And mm-hmm. I don't know. And, like, I also, it's hard for me to speak on this, obviously, because I'm white. Yes. So, like, I can't talk about how bad it hurts to see something like that because Mm-mm. I don't feel, like, I, I, I can't speak on that. Yeah. But I can imagine it's not good. Like, it's frustrating. I think because, like, I don't know. I, I was <laughs> excited to have a movie that I didn't think I was going to, like, despise. And then, mm-hmm. like, they did this. And I was like, oh, this is worse. Like, I was like, you had a Haunted Doll movie. You did not have to do that's literally any it. of that. And I think I was so ready to dislike it for normal reasons. Yeah. Like, Conjuring 2, I don't like that movie. But I can tell you right now, I like it more than this one. Oh, yeah. I which is, will not be watching this again ever. Ever. No. I, I have no desire. Don't give a shit. And I can tell you right now, if any other animal movies are similar, I also don't give a fuck. No. Like, uh, yeah. So, upsetting. Very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't. Conjuring, what are you doing? It's it's just steadily going downhill this month, which is surprise. I really I I thought didn't. there was going to be like a one that I would be like, you know what? that one's good yeah and i thought it was gonna be this one because i was watching it and i was like you know the plot's not amazing but i was enjoying it more than conjuring 2 i was like i'm liking this like mm. it's it's interesting and then i just saw it coming i was like i i can feel that something not good is coming and i oh boy i didn't think it'd be that bad but let's <laughs> i'll talk about horror still because let's just go ahead and say right now that's the biggest horror yes. <laughs> of this movie yes i will talk about some of the notes that i took yes <laughs> a lot of my notes came before this moment in mm. the movie because i kind of stopped after that point because mm-hmm. i had been so angry that i was like i don't really see the point in continuing my notes because i know i don't like this now mm-hmm. it solidified my feelings so yep. i'll just go ahead and get into it love it <laughs> um so i took like genuine notes through the whole movie like i said until the end um one thing i wrote at the very beginning i said what is it about ghosts and only fucking with women Mm, yeah what is this this thing like they're easier to gaslight in terms of like society not that women are like uh, right but it yeah i guess because like women are seen as like i don't know frail in a way especially in movies they're over emotional they paint them to be yeah over emotional and frail Mm -hmm. until they show their hidden strengths and it's this cliche thing of like oh just because she's a stay-at-home mom doesn't mean that she's not strong. And I was like, yeah, bitch, no one's saying that. Like, no. literally no one is not saying they're strong. They're very strong. Yeah. Whatever. That's something I wrote, and I just thought it was weird. And I was like, how come none of the men just get fucked with? How come the mom doesn't go off on a business trip and the dad is like, you don't understand. I saw ghosts. I want to see that movie. I want to see the dad just get absolutely fucked up with ghosts. I want to see the dad get fucked up with I ghosts. Just <laughs> fucked up. Because the only time you do see that is movies like, are movies like whatever uh movies like uh that remake of amityville which we talked about briefly oh yeah a lot of movies like that the only time you see the men getting like fucked up by ghosts yeah is when they become like murderers oh yeah when they're possessed and they become like family annihilators yeah so you really only and you still see even in those you still see the mom and the kids getting like just haunted mm-hmm. by ghosts. But then you see the dad just become a full on murderer. And I'm like, can I just see a dad be like, I'm scared. Like <laughs> dad's going to be scared too. Okay. 
Dads, it's okay to be scared. It's 2021. Let the dads be scared. Okay. Let the dads be scared of ghosts. God. Specifically. Everything else, you have to be very brave. Very but brave. Ghosts, dads, you're allowed to be afraid of ghosts. I'll let you be scared of ghosts. I give you permission. It's fine. My dad was scared of ghosts. Well, my dad sucks. Um, <laughs> so my first note was, uh, was so this is the plot of Child's Play. <laughs> That's what I wrote. Because like the drop of blood and everything, I was like, okay, cool shots. I thought that there were some really good shots. I don't like that moment with the lights because it's like the lights go on and you can't really hear them, but there's this like muffled talking of like, go check the door. Like what's happening. I like that you can get the sense of a break in without having to see it. Like yeah. you never leave that room and you're only seeing it from the window of their mm-hmm. bedroom. I thought that was cool. I thought it was really effective. Yeah. I thought it was great. And then the lights go off and you see the splatter of blood and they give you this like, you've talked about it before where it's like, they don't actually show you the death fully or a discretion shot yeah mm-hmm. so that you know it's happening because you've seen like the beginnings of it and then it's the lights are off before you can see all that i thought that was nice i was like this is when i had hope still i was like this is cool i really like that shot um i wrote i was really upset that she didn't smell that fire <laughs> yeah before. and my only reason for like being extra upset usually i would suspend my disbelief and be like okay well, like she's busy like she didn't smell it whatever but she's pregnant, and when you're pregnant, you do smell things a lot more intensely. Mm-hmm. Like, so when this popcorn is burning, I'm like, popcorn is strong. You're gonna tell me that she's sitting in the next room right there, and she's like, nothing weird here. <laughs> but Nikki, she pricked her finger, so you're right. she was so distracted by blood because she's um, a frail woman. Well, they really drove that home too. They were like, look at her finger getting so close to that needle. And you were like, yeah, she's going to sew through it. We all know. They teased that for so long. And I was like, it's going to fucking happen. I was annoyed because I knew it was going to happen, but I thought it was going to be bigger. Like, yeah. I thought it was going to be, like, really intense. Mm-hmm. And, like, there was going to be, like, like it was going to be when the machine was going by itself or something. Because mm-hmm. that does happen as well. And I was like, oh, it's going to happen by itself. And then she's going to get, like, nope, it was just to distract her from the popcorn smell. <laughs> Which, like... I'm sorry, nothing could distract me from popcorn. It's so strong. As soon as it burns, as you're going to smell it, it for years. Oh, I've burned popcorn in this apartment, and it's, I, I swear, if you ju- if the wind is just right, you'll still smell it. <laughs> but whatever. Legends um, say you can still smell the burning the of the popcorn says. from 2018. My neighbors could probably still smell it. I pro- I'm sure if I burn popcorn every time, they were like, are you fucking kidding? Get a new snack. Um, <laughs> but uh, also they move, so they move into this new apartment after the popcorn incident, which like, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> um, they, they move into like a huge fucking apartment. It looks bigger than their house. It's a long boy too. It, it is, is a long apartment. And they did it. And I think it's on purpose to like confuse you, which is like good job. I think it's really cool and well done. Like the hallways are very long, but you know, it's apartment. So you're kind of like, I don't know. It was cool. I liked the setup of it. I like when movies intentionally make their set a little bit confusing so that way you have trouble figuring out where things are and, you know, it just, like, keeps on your tips. Yeah, for sure. I thought that was cool. Um, this drove me nuts. <laughs> the mom's name is Mia. Yeah. Daughter's name is Leah. Yep. I swear at a few points, just to fuck with us, they were switching them. I swear they switched them. They were like, hi, my name is Leah, and this is my baby, Mia. <laughs> I swear... I I don't know. I must have blacked out because I was just like, they're the same name. Same name. <laughs> and that's the only reason I remembered it is because it rhymed. And I was like, really? She said the baby's name. And I'm like, did she just say her own name? 
And even that would have made more sense. If she was mm-hmm. like, Mia, you know, I named her after myself. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I love yeah. that. I love the confidence. But no, just a different name that rhymed, whatever. Also, that was a really quick labor. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't even know she had the baby. All of a sudden she was like, there's a fire. And then he, she's like, the baby. And she like gestures. And I'm like, what's she gesturing A toward? nurse comes from the corner. <laughs> yeah. Literally, I thought she was going to gesture towards like, I don't know, something else. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh fuck, that's a baby. Yeah. I forgot. I, I it's intentionally vague, I guess, on I, how long it takes. I'm just like, I'm so sorry I'm late. And it's like, the house caught fire. People pulled her out. You were at see. work. So like, how min- How long? How long? How long between? It just confused me because I was just like, at no point do you see her like start to go into labor or even have pains. You see her hold her stomach once like, oh, ouch. But that's how she, she fell. fell. <laughs> so of course, if you fall, like she's like, ah, my baby. Like, mm-hmm. but they don't so show her being like, I'm stressed. Oh no, labor. So then when she has this baby, I was like, oh, all right, well, fair enough. I guess you would have had it at some point. Um, also, <laughs> this part drove me nuts. I know we're supposed to talk about horror, but <laughs> the way she talks to these kids on the steps. Oh, my God. I wanted to stab her. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, you're trying to sound like a predator, right? Because you sound right? like one. I was like, are you trying to prove this son like correct? I don't know. And for people Maybe who haven't seen it. we'll all be friends. Yeah. There's this part where she's like walking down the stairs and there's little kids like coloring who like, just to point out, never fucking come back into the story. No, nope. I thought they were going to play a big part. No, they're there to color. So these kids are coloring and she like has to walk down the stairs. So she's like, oh, excuse me. Then she just stops and she's like, oh, do you live here too? And then the little girl goes to answer and the son is like, don't tell her. And I'm like, good on you. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, well, Maybe one day we can all be friends. This is... And she introduces her baby and herself. And, like, the, the kid is just like, okay, like, fuck off. Like, I'm yeah, not going to talk to you. And it was just like, I thought she was trying to sound like a predator on purpose, genuinely. I was like, is she trying to show them, like, why you don't talk to strangers? Because she sounds terrifying. Yeah, she's the stranger you're not supposed to talk to in that moment. She was scary. I was like, okay. I thought maybe she was supposed to be, like... Possessed. Possessed. I was like, oh, yeah. is she possessed? And I was like, no, she's just fucking weird. Yeah. Um... So literally those kids are there just to color. And then you see like the sheets they've colored later, which is like the premonition of the baby's death, which also doesn't really happen and isn't really talked about any time later, really. It's averted and like inverted. How how did she grab it? Why did she grab it? So she actually had the baby in her arms the whole time. I rewatched that scene twice. Oh, thank you. So did I. And I was like, what? Because I realized that they purposefully never showed her from the front. And oh. they show, when she drops her keys and bends over, she, like, kind of shuffles. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, maybe she's just, like, trying to, like, move her purse. No, it's because she was holding the baby the whole fucking time. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Hard to catch. And also just made it confusing. Because yeah. I was like, where's the baby? Oh, she has the baby. When did she grab it? What the fuck? Because... I mean, spoiler alert, the kid's premonition comes true, sort of, in a way, except the baby lives. Yeah. I don't know. So, you know, there were a lot of plot points that, like, they threw in that just didn't really (laughs) ever come to light and didn't really matter. Um, This part that I I really did like, though, um, there is a part where she is alone in the the hotel, alone in the apartment, um, and it's, like, when John is late for work. Oh, is it the dinner scene? where? Yeah. Yeah. So she's late. Um... She's eating dinner by herself, even though they had plans. Um, and she t- goes and she turns off the record player. That was a cool shot because you get the shot of her walking. And then all of a sudden you're 
the camera doesn't move, but you see her walk in like mm-hmm. another direction, mm-hmm. which they do in the first Conjuring, and you're like, ah, cool. Like a fun little throwback of like those cool moments that disorient you. Love it. Um, but this was really cool. I watched it three times to make sure I wasn't wrong. Um, she turns off the record player. She goes back, and then you see something in the painting above the record player. There's a very, very subtle like reflection of mm-hmm. somebody. You can't really see what, but someone just like being in front of the record player and turning it off. And I was like, what a nice touch. I really loved that scene. I was actually going to bring it up because I loved like the camera movement mm-hmm. during that scene because like you mentioned, she yeah. starts with the record player, moves to the kitchen, but the camera stays in that spot yeah. with like a wide angle where you see the record player, you see the hallway and the door, and mm-hmm. you see her in the kitchen. Right. And you don't know where you're supposed to be looking. Right. I was guessing that we're going to look at the door <laughs> because yeah. like the pounding on the door is a common thread across right. Conjuring movies. And I should have fucking been looking at the record player. I was misled. And then afterwards, I was like, damn, they got me. Because, like, it (laughs) was there so that you could still look at it. But also, like, where are you going to look? Where's the scare going to be? Kind of like paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. And then, like, when she walks over, instead of, like, staying static, it moves with her again. Right. And it shifts further to the left. So then you see Right. It, like, shows. Yeah, I love that. I love that they give you this moment of, like, what part is going to scare you? Mm-hmm. Where you where you want to see? And then it follows her to be like, okay, we're done guessing. Let's just show you now kind of thing, which is great. I mean, they, you know, one of the few moments that were like really good, especially that really subtle attention to detail of seeing it in the picture frame. It's not even a mirror. It's just a picture. And like you see her turn off the record player and you see her reflection in the glass. She walks away and then you see something move again. So it was just cool to be like, they could have easily just turned the sound off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in a movie, you could have just edited it so like there was no sound anymore of the mm-hmm. record player. But they went as far to be like, no, something walked up to it. Even though you don't actually see what it is, you know something's there. It was cool. Yeah. Um, a moment that I like, I liked. And then things, you know, go downhill. Mm. <laughs> um, this was one of my favorite shots, which, I mean, I feel like it's one of the few shots that's really, really good is the transition of the kid to adult in the running to the door. Yes, I did like that. I love this. I thought it was a really cool way to like show a little girl who's already creepy. Seeing a little kid in a movie, you know, freaks me the fuck out. So she's just standing there and she's kind of smiling, but she's far enough away that you can't quite tell. And Mia's like kind of scared of her, but she's like, who are you? And she's still talking to it. And then she just books it and there's nothing scarier then whatever is haunting you, just fucking running. <laughs> at you. At you. Even anywhere. If, if I see anything run, I'm like, uh-uh, Mm-mm. I don't like it. So she starts running, and that's already unsettling, and it makes your heart start to race. And the door is cracked open. It, it closes. It starts to close. And then she pushes it open, and all of a sudden, she's an adult version of Annabelle Higgins, the daughter that was in the cult that killed her parents, which is where the name comes from. Mm. So... All of a sudden, she just goes from child to adult so fast. And it was, and her dress is the same. So, like, you see her. You never lose sight of her. But because of this subtle door close, you get, like, just enough obscure obscuring of the vision to be like, what? <laughs> yeah. And, like, I was trying to predict what would happen because there was, like, that pause yeah. of, like, you see the creepy daughter or child. Right. And you're like, okay, well, she's probably going to start fucking running or screaming or something. And then right. she starts running. I was like, okay, what well, I'm guessing the door is closing she's going to disappear upon hitting the door and the door will slam open. Right. Nope. Turns into an adult version. Yes. <laughs> didn't predict it. No, it was one of those things where I like didn't see it coming. I found especially, it Yeah, especially because like you don't lose sight of her. 
Like, I was like, if I had lost sight of her, I would have been like, okay, what's going to happen? But, like, you don't. So you're like, just the fact that they made anything happen was really cool. They obscured it just enough to make you wonder. And then they don't give you a lot of time to wonder. It's an effective scare. I liked it. I, I really did. Um, I did write, I wish the lighting was just a little warmer. Oh, we got thunder. Good, good thunder. <laughs> um, and I mean, and that's just like a, a personal thing. Like, I, I thought the first Conjuring also was a little too, like, blue and cool in its colors. Because that's, that's just like the colors you get when a movie is scary, you know? Hmm. It's like, oh, it's a scary movie. We got to give it some nice, like, bluish, greenish hues. I feel like it's, you know. But the first one did have some warm moments that I really loved. And it was kind of like a subtle way to tell you like this is one of those moments where everything's okay like with the car when they're fixing the car in the first one Mm. it's very warm it has some orangey tones to it and i was like oh it's kind of to tell you like this moment is when everyone's feeling okay and they didn't really have that in this one very much it seemed like every moment was kind of blue like Mm. very cool tones yeah yeah yeah. so i just kind of wish that they had a few more moments of like i don't know i just i like a, a warmer tone especially in the 70s like this is supposed to be set think in the late 60s early 70s it's uh it changes because like they retcon some stuff to make it work yeah okay. so it's between the years of 68 and 72 okay i don't remember what the so it is date. like yeah and like filmmaking back then did have very warm colors especially the 70s it was like very warm tones mm. usually unless it was like purposefully cool so i kind of wanted that just to like throw me back into those like movies and be like oh yes Make it the year it's supposed to be. But, you know, whatever. That was just a personal thing. Uh, yeah, I I didn't really have much else other than... Because uh, this is where it all kind of went to shit. So that was all my notes of liking it. And then it started to get shitty. And I, I knew it was coming. And I think I just stopped because I was like... I don't know. The only other thing I have notes on uh, would be the scene with, like, the elevator. Which I did like. And you seem to have enjoyed it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did say the doll played a really small part, which was strange. Yeah, it wasn't as much about the doll no. as like the doll standing in for a yeah. larger evil, where it was like the doll is a symptom of it. The yeah. doll is not the disease. Yeah, the doll didn't do much. Like I, I think if you're going to market it as like, this is a movie about a haunted doll, I wanted to see the doll like move more on its own. It did the rocking chair. There were moments where, like, they would zoom in on it and have it kind of, like, where you could see the foreground and then you had her as, like, the main. But she never moved. She never did anything. And I think it was on purpose to be like, oh, you think it's going to move and then it doesn't. But it is a haunted doll movie. Like, I was like, yeah, you got to make the doll a little more, like, important, I feel like. Um, I understood that it was just a conduit for, like, these things. But if that's the case, it can move. Like... You know, I, I just th- I think it played such a small part for the movie being about this doll. I don't know. Uh, but let's get to the elevator scene. This was, I think, the last scene before we get into, like, full-on shit. Yeah, that's my scariest moment. I thought. I, yeah. I thought maybe. Did you see the movie version of Scor... Nope, Scories. <laughs> <laughs> Scary Stories to yes, Tell the Dark. Okay, so do you remember the scene with the pale lady where this mm-hmm. kid is in the hospital and... There are these weird, like, intersections in the hallways, yeah. and there's a creature following him, and anywhere he turns... Am I, just, I'm giving, it's a, I think the character's name is Chuck. I was, like, suddenly... Rem- 
I know. Anyway. I saw it. I don't remember anything except for that, yeah. the scary moments. Because but. to me, that was the scariest thing. Because whichever direction they turn, the monsters matter. in front of them doesn't matter. There's literally no way to get out. And it wasn't that it was closer either. I mean, it did it get It gets closer each time. But, but it's not it was moving just fast. that it was just that you didn't have anywhere to go. And to me, it was like, you see your doom. You know how hopeless it is. Do you run into the arms of the thing that will kill you? Or do you keep yes. trying to the last moment? And it was so, like, that prolonged helplessness is awful and so effective as a scare for me and yes. so when she's in the elevator and she like pounds the six like to go to the floor or whatever and the door is closed and you're like okay and then the door's open and she's stuck there and so she keeps trying and it's like oh. to me that was absolutely horrifying because each time it's like i think the thing is closer to her you don't see that you don't see anything and that's what's so upsetting is mm-hmm. that, like it's just knowing that something is there and you can't get away from it you're very trapped I mean, yeah you are literally like this is the only place you can go to get away. And even that's not giving you the the escape you need. Like, no. oh, that sucks. <laughs> and that was... I am i don't know what I would have done in this moment, but one of my ideas would be to press the closed door button, hold it, and then live in the elevator. Same. I am that an elevator baby now. <laughs> I li- <laughs> Fuck Leah, I live here. <laughs> I, did you just say, I am the elevator baby now? Yeah. <laughs> Oh shit, that was good. But that but that was it's just funny, that was my exact thought too. My exact thought was, well just just never leave the elevator. What are you doing? Never like, leave I was the elevator. Like, just say that you live there now. Just play a game of chicken with the demon. Like I can wait here longer oh, than I you can. Like, like just close the door. I would never leave. No. I'd, I'd be like, oh, you think you I I'll piss in this elevator. I'm not too proud. Like I'll live my days here. I don't give a shit. It was a pretty elevator. A pretty elevator. Yeah. I mean she did have a baby to get back to. I get it, but why do you leave your baby in the first place? That was one of my qualms to her. I was like, what? She was just like, I know my house is haunted. Mommy's got to go to the basement. Mommy's got to go to the basement. <laughs> I'd be like, no, you do not. But yes, I thought it was really effective because the part that got me the most is the first time she tries to go because she tries to leave with the confidence of, oh, I'm safe. And mm-hmm. she just walks and then notices she's not on the sixth floor. And she's like, oh. and I'm like, oh, I hated that. And I do, oh, I really loved that the whole thing is very dark. You can only see the outlines of like those little like storage yeah. cages. And the exit sign is so bright because like the first time it opens, you see this exit sign and mm-hmm. you know exactly what she has to do. And you're like, oh, she's gonna have to go. But I hate it. So every time that door opens, you're just looking at this bright exit sign going, just do it. Just do it. Like, what? Did mm-hmm. she do it three times? I think three, yeah. I think it's, yeah. That's a magic number, you know? It is. I think she does like the three elevator opens until she's finally like, I'm just going to run to the exit sign. And the whole time you were like, yeah, I know you, you gotta. And then she's <sighs> running up the stairs screaming. It's like, does no one hear the woman screaming? Oh the my way? God. I know this place echoes like nobody's business, but then her neighbors are always fighting and slamming doors and stuff. Right. So maybe people are like, it's just what happens kind of thing. I mean, we know for a fact that like there's Evelyn who has met her before and seems to care and is worried. Doesn't come out. The kids who have now been creeped out by her don't seem to come out. So that part, yeah, was a little strange. But I think it also is supposed to be like, what, a thunderstorm? Yeah. And it also does give it this air of surrealism. Like, is she mm-hmm. in a different plane where people can't reach yeah, her? It was Can, is very she like, dark. Yeah. Like, it's really dark, even though, like, when she gets to her apartment, her power's not out, I don't think. So it was very, like, what, what, where is she? It felt like Nightmare Realm, you know? It did. It felt like she wasn't where she left. Yeah. Like, 
So that was cool. I don't know if that's my scariest moment. <sighs> now that I'm thinking about it, I think it might be that scene that I already talked about with the, the door. Mm, yeah. Just because I've never seen, I've never seen a transition that fast and effective. Mm-hmm done like uh, really well like i mean i'm sure there's other movies that do similar things that i just haven't seen yet or i have and i just can't think of them but i just really liked it i thought that that was it really got me like i was like oh no (laughs) i was not expecting there to be like a different person it's already scary that she's running at you then she changes and i'm like i was expecting Mm -hmm. the kid like (sighs) my i almost chose the like priest launch scene oh where, yeah uh, they, they really fucking threw him yeah they just yeeted that priest real good but basically <laughs> eat a priest <laughs> eat a priest if you will eat a priest if you will yeah. uh no but like when he's driving it you see him put it in the passenger seat and then he like puts it in the back seat and Which, you see him adjust the rear view mirror and you're like okay well she's gonna be in the rear view and strangle you and you're gonna have a car crash and then that doesn't happen. I was expecting the car crash. I was like, this is it, car crash. Which really gave me Omen vibes. Yeah. I was, I, was like, I literally put in my notes, this this feels like the Omen. <laughs> I was like, Omen vibes? <laughs> yeah. It really did. It had like that, you know, energy. It did. And so, like that was happening. And I kept predicting all the different ways. And so I felt like they were setting you up for scares mm-hmm. that weren't going to pay off. Because they were like, oh, well, you thought, but no. Again, this comes from the fact that this was directed by the cinematographer of the first one. Yep who we literally talked about does this exact mm-hmm. thing. So it's no wonder that these moments were in there because yeah. he probably was like, well, I did that before it succeeded. Do it again. They had a lot of setups that with no payoff purposefully to make you uncomfortable. That part was great. <laughs> I, I like, I feel bad praising this movie for anything at this point. Like, yes, I did love these scares, but like it, it does not excuse what no. happens in this movie. So I'll never watch it again. No. So, I'll give you all the good things now, but I'll I'll tell you that I, this movie's not worth watching, no. to be honest. No, I wouldn't watch it if I could, so like, just yeah. listen to us describe these scares and yeah. uh, look up the clips on yeah. YouTube. Give them a little, little on look On the see. YouTube. On the YouTube, if you yeah. will. I, like, um, had my, like, sections, like, general conversation, scariest moment, qualms. And then yeah. under qualms, I just put all of the plot. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that was one of the things that I was willing to overlook, too, because I was like, well, the scares are really good. Especially once I found out that the writer and like were different, and mm-hmm. once I found out the other movies that the writer did write, I was like, "Oh, I get it now. I just don't like this writer. I really don't. I do love this the cinematography yes. though. Like he's worked on a lot of things that I really liked. Well, the director, I guess in this he would be the director, but I did also love the cinematographer, mm-hmm. even though like they had kind of switched roles in the cinematographer from the first one. You know, yes, loved them both. Both cinematographers. And they both knew what they were doing and they seemed to really work well together and agree what they wanted this to look like. Because I'm sure it's hard as a cinematographer to be a director and to not be the cinematographer. I'm sure it's hard to be like, I want to do this. <laughs> um, but they seem to do really well together. But this writer, no, I don't remember what I was talking about. I know it was the biggest scare, but I was just so mad mm. because I don't like praising this. No. And we'll get into that, like, when we give our ratings. I know, like, no matter how many times I say that I found the scares effective, I like the cinematography, it does not... No. Like, and I think that's what I'm trying to get across, is that, like, I'm talking about these scares that were effective, and I really liked these moments. These moments being very specific. Yes. These are the moments, and all of these happen before you realize what's going to happen with Evelyn. And I think that sucks 
just as bad because then it's like they lull you into this false sense of security into being like, yeah, the plot's not amazing, but we captured a lot of the magic from the first movie. But then they do this shit and you're like, that see, was big old crack of big thunder. old thunder. And it was like, no, you didn't. You didn't capture the magic of the first movie because you you did some fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, I I feel like that's all I've got on horror at this point. Yeah. Because at that point, like I said, it goes downhill. So what's the point? What's the fucking point? Should we just wrap this anyway? Well, do you want to hear tropes? Oh, yes. I mean, that's fine. Sorry. Well, Nerd Corner was so trope heavy that I was like, no, it was. Their tropes are there. But so that's why I only did two tropes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So one of them is foregone conclusion. And so basically, I'm just going to read the quote from (laughs) tvtropes.com. So most dramatic tension in storytelling comes from the audience being ignorant of the work's ending. Mm. Audience members invest in characters and plots and want to know how they are treated and resolved, respectively. Yeah. Sometimes, however, authors choose to go a different route. They will make known to the audience how their story ends before they even begin telling it. Sometimes they'll do so with an explicit statement, such as a spoiler opening or how we got here. Sometimes by writing a prequel that ends right where the original work begins. Wherever the case may be, the author has given themselves quite a task. They must find some way to establish tension and doubt when everyone knows how the story is going to end. Right. We know that Annabelle survives to continue terrorizing people since this is a prequel. Right. We just don't know how many people she takes out along the way. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, And then the other one is the anachronism thing that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Because I get really nerdily excited. (laughs) This one's called Anachronism Stew. Ooh, I love soup. (laughs) (laughs) So anachronism is just when there are elements of certain periods in a piece set in a different period. So it can be like pieces of clothing that weren't around in that time, technology. Sometimes it's done intentionally to create that timelessness or like sense of surrealness like in It Follows. Love that, yeah. Yeah, and then anachronism (laughs) is also love the thunder. Anachronism is also super common in comedies, farces, and satire, like Robin Hood Men in Tights. Right. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I had briefly started a drinking game with friends for Drink for Every Anachronism, and then I was like, oh, no, no, this is a dangerous you'll game. Die, We're just going to watch. <laughs> we can't, we can't. I was like, this is not happening. Um, so in Annabelle, I noticed one right off the bat, and yeah. there are at least like seven. Yeah. But they weren't like super like easy to tell for me, but this one I just knew because I am a true crime nerd. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Yeah. And people have covered this. I think so, I know what this one is. I'm yeah. To hear. So when me and John's neighbors are murdered, John instructs me to call the ambulance. She runs in and on a rotary phone dials 911. 911 wasn't an emergency number until 1968 and took a while oh. to be adopted nationwide. So by the end of 1976, 911 was serving about 17% of the population in the United States. Interesting. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is... Really interesting. Yeah. The first 911 call was in 1968. Nuh-uh. Yes. Wow. And uh, in 1979, approximately 26% of the population yeah. had 911 service. And nine, one, <laughs> nine states had enacted 911 legislation. Whoa. And then uh, by like 87, it was like 50% of the population. And now it's about 96%. And, like, in the 70s, the White House, like, telecommunications office or whatever was like, hey, states should adopt this. Yeah. But it was not widespread until, like, the 80s. <laughs> wow. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. See, I was going to bring up, because I didn't know. I don't know the date. And you, you might. Uh, the Manson murders are talked about. On the that date. is another anachronism. Okay, good. I, I was wondering. I was like. This feels like... Because I talk about the family, and I was like, oh, that's the Manson family, and the right. Sharon Tate... They or, literally even say, yeah. like, they live on the... They say the name of the ranch they lived on, and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think this has happened yet. 
right? Um, yeah. So like it's, it happens later on, and whenever this is set, I, I like that's on the TV trope page. And what upset me about it too is just because I was like, one, I was like, please don't make it related to the Manson family because that is a very big thing to tie in that like real families experience yeah. trauma from. And if it's not at all related to that, don't make it related to that. Mm-mm. But then they did something kind of worse where they like brought in this trauma of this real story in a very subtle, I'll give them that, subtle way of being on the TV. But like they didn't hide it at all. Like you know what they're talking about. And then it's nothing to do with, it's just supposed to put this idea of cults in your yep. mind. But you didn't need that. No. It's very forgettable. If that moment had never happened, I still would have been like, it's the 60s. This is a cult. Okay. I'm on board. You got me. Yeah. So I had to look it up yeah, to see yeah, the years yeah. and stuff. So um, the series continuity error is basically like if you look at the year tags in The Conjuring, yeah, um, you would think that the film takes place in 67 because yeah. in The Conjuring, the nurses say that – uh, they gave like and they the nurses gave Annabelle to the Warrens in sixty eight right and it was like a year before that that it happened right but the mention of like Sharon Tate would be anachronistic since she was murdered in sixty nine I knew it I yes. was gonna say I was like this is <laughs> a lot of yeah this is showing how nerdy I am but I knew that it was really close to the seventies because of the fashion I was like I know I've looked I've like read a lot about this I know what Sharon Tate was like wearing and I was like no no no. This was so close to the 70s, and this movie wasn't that close to the 70s. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you can't trick me. No. So okay. they, there was definitely, like, some retcon of them saying, well, actually, this did take okay, place, okay, blah, okay. blah, blah. I so, wondered. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, some of the other anachronisms are, like, someone said the sewing machine is Ikea, but it wasn't in the U.S. until the 80s. Yeah. And, like, ultrasound wasn't super common until the late 70s, or, like, yeah. the IV kit was in a plastic bag, but it should have been a glass bottle, like... Mm-hmm. Those are ones that I did not know. Just like little ones, yeah. yeah. But to me, I saw, like, I'm so fucking nerdy. I saw him say, or I heard him say, call the ambulance. She runs in. I said, I'm going to watch her on this rotary phone. If she dials 911. And then I was like, it wasn't existent. Then. Like, it is, I, it's possible that they had access to it. But it's highly unlikely that it was actually available to me and John at the time. I am so glad that we both used the, the things that we are full on nerds <laughs> about to figure out. I used bell bottoms and yep. you used, you know, real knowledge. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I just knew. I was like, Sharon Tate was so stylish. Specifically, like, up and coming 1970s style. Mm-hmm. And this mom is dressed like, it is like mid-60s. So I was like, you can't. Trick me. Mm-mm. I was like, this is not. I wanted. And even then her clothes were like weirdly close to the 70s when they shouldn't have been. But it's fine. I'm not going to get into it. Do you know much about the makeup from that time? Because I have questions. A little bit. Depend- Be- what time? Like, So at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. she's wearing like a bright red lip or like a bright pink. And that's the brightest color she has worn like on makeup wise. And then she does have gentle wings on her eyelids at one point. That. I would say the specifically like. At least from what I remember, that's more popular, like, closer to the 70s. I think, I could be wrong, that those colors, like, that big bold lip and those, like, winged eyeliner, Mm -hmm. I think that was more popular in the 60s, specifically in England. Okay. I could be wrong. Like I said, it's been a long time since I've actually studied this. So, like, obviously it takes time for trends to travel, and I think that those things became a little more stylish in the 70s for us. I wasn't... 
I felt like the lipstick thing was like a tonal shift, not like a time shift where it was Probably like, you know, tonal. now she feels free of this thing. She's wearing right. a brighter lipstick. Yeah, I think but. that's more closely, especially because like 60s and 70s are two of like, for me, one of the hardest decades to like mm. determine the difference until it's like really far into one or the other. Yeah. Really early 60s is very clear. Really like late 70s is very clear but once you get into that like mid 60s early 70s they start to blend there's a name for it and i can't remember what it's called but there's a name for periods that are like in between interstitial no that's not right i learned it specifically in college when i was doing the costume there's like a specific name for fashion trends that like are midway so it's like you're not out of the 60s you are not fully into the 70s but you have this transition period of like trends are making their way to being a trend but they're not a trend yet yeah um, which is kind of why it's hard to say with the makeup because like that's kind of mod style which was more popular in the 60s in england and then i feel like mod style got adopted into like a different style in the 70s this is probably so boring for everybody but I love this. in the 70s like we had like a few makeup trends in like fashion trends that kind of came from mod but they formed their own thing in the 70s i think um and that's where the makeup and everything gets confusing because like the fashion was popular in the 60s but maybe not here so then it like just depends on where you are it's so weird but yeah 60s and 70s have always been my hardest (laughs) ones to like do because they're so similar i struggle with like the barrier between the 90s and the aughts Oh, see, because that it's one, like, I'm like the, I got it. The denim and the hair. It's like, if you showed me picture side by side, I could tell you which is which. But right. if you just showed me one picture, I'd be like, eh. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't study that a lot. I mean, I'm. what's weird is like, I'm more versed to be able to tell you like really, really early dates. Like Dope. 1800s, 1900s is relatively easy. Even earlier than that, easier. Wowza. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, that's that's so easy. But once it gets to these ones where trends were just like, jumping so fast around and things were popular at different times it starts to get so confusing because you're like okay it was popular in england but it wasn't here yet and then it made it here and then (laughs) absolutely buck wild that's so cool someday we'll just have a whole episode where i can talk freely about wild things i one time wrote that could be a patreon bonus you guys want to hear about it i one time wrote a paper about how you had to choose something in history that was slightly mundane and then talk about how it changed the course of history and I chose the corset. Oh. It made so many weird things. I I need to hear this. I'll tell so. you all about it someday. Okay. It really fucked shit up. Of course, it was wild. Wowza. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. We're done with fashion. <sighs> For now. For now. <laughs> so, ratings. Now we need to rate the movie. <laughs> uh, I know. <sighs> what if we just, on the count of three, we just said what we... First, we have to choose one. We have to choose a skill, yeah. <laughs> my literal we just like stared at each other we just stared at each other like we were so angry that i don't think yeah. either of us really thought about this uh i guess the only thing that's like top of mind is like launched priest um <laughs> wait yeet priest yeet priest yeet priest okay okay and then do we want to say on the count of three what we give it or do we want to do the finger like let's 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 do, do the finger and see if like we know, and then we'll say if we were right or wrong okay. to everybody. Okay, so one, one, two, two three. three. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that was possible. Otherwise, I would. It's gonna be that Yelp thing where it's like I would give the zero stars if I could, okay. but I have to give if it one. If that's the case, then we agree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, 
for those at home, Kate <laughs> held up one, I held up zero, and then Kate was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you guys understood the prompt. <laughs> so one. <laughs> I saw, the first thing I saw, though, was your, like, fingers that were up, and I was like, there's no way she's giving this a four. Like, there is no way in hell. Like, no. <laughs> Just zero. Like, ugh. mostly because, I'll explain it, mostly because, like, we talked about all the good things, and that's great. But none of those good things will no. make up for this thing that happened at the end no. and how horrible it was. And so I, I want to give it zero simply because I'm like, I don't care what how much I liked the beginning. You ruined it all at the yes. end. And uh, you got to answer for those sins. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. And for me, it's the same reason where it's like I was trying to like summarize my thoughts at the end. Yeah. When I was like going over my notes and I was like, you know, that really ruined it for me. And then I was like, no, 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 that's centering me. It didn't ruin it for me. To me, it made it harmful to exactly. society. <laughs> I was like, I don't like, because I said this earlier, I was like, listen, this pro- probably isn't as harmful to me as it is to people who actually experience this yeah. kind of thing. So like, if I'm mad, I can't imagine how others feel like yeah. that sucks. So I just, I had, if I could give it zero, I would. Yep. But we've made the rule now that yep. you've got to at least give it one and I will give it one. Yeah. And so, say that like. Yeah. One yeet priest to piece. One yeet priest to piece. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel I'm not gonna say I feel bad because I don't. I don't. But feel I bad. mean, like, I feel weird giving like so many bad ratings lately, especially when like we went from being like fours and fives like across the board for a long time. And I kept telling Kate, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get to a movie that like we really don't like, so we can like really dig into yeah. it. Yeah. Not knowing not what knowing. we were in store for. Listen, at the like at the end of July, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we just did a bunch of Conjuring movies? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And so then we sat down with a list of all the Conjuring Universe movies and we chose them. I never knew that Annabelle I, would do this. I really didn't. I think because, like, I loved the first one so much, which we talked about, and I still do. Like, I'm not going to mix this. Because, like, the director of the first two one. is a person of color. Like, yeah. that's... <laughs> it's hard. There is, like... This know. is something that I, as a white person, don't feel, like, qualified to speak on, like, from experience type perspective. Right. But there are, like, divisions of experiences because of, yeah. like, the model minority myth and then the, like, history of enslavement. Yeah. And so it's, like, there are tensions culturally sometimes between, like, certain groups that are, like, really? prized as a minority versus <gasps> ones that are denigrated. Right. And so... I, I'm not speaking for either culture or, like, <laughs> either, like, group of folks or community, yeah. but it's – I've heard the pushback of, like, you can't say all people of color are, like, a united front because right. radically different radically circumstances. Different, like, circumstances. That makes sense. And so, like, if he's an Asian man, he can't speak to the – Yeah. Man. That makes sense. I just – yeah. I was, like – I don't know. It, it's just – seems strange to me that like yeah. they would do something so wildly yeah. bad after the first one was like really good the first and, one was good <laughs> like yeah it was yeah and the second one is like i said like sec- i don't like the second one and i did give it a low rating but not because of anything like this no. i gave it a low rating just because like i didn't enjoy it but i'd also seen it like five times so like i was being nitpicky yeah mm-hmm. and i'm allowed to be i saw it yeah. five times yeah. and i just didn't like it anymore that's my own and like I have a lot of friends who are like, I do like this movie. And I was like, that's fair. I loved it too. I've just seen it a lot and like whatever. But 
I would rather nitpick a movie yeah. and not like it than this. Like, yeah. I can at least watch The Conjuring 2 and still find moments that, like, either make me laugh because they're ridiculous or genuinely kind of scary. Yeah. I will never watch this again. No. <laughs> I have I no interest. It gives a really, really harmful message. Yeah. And I'm not fucking here for it. No, I... I mean, spoiler alert, like, we do have another... Our last Conjuring movie for this month. Because then we have our patron pick. Yeah. Which, like... I'm super pumped about. Super pumped about. Um, so we have, like, one more Conjuring movie. And, like... I'm just worried now. Yeah. I have no idea. What, I haven't seen this one. I, see, I have, but it's been like a little bit and yeah, I, I'm not going to say which one it is yeah. yet, but we do have one more and I'm just kind of like, now I'm, now I'm like not excited about it. Yeah. Part of me wants to look up who wrote it and stuff just so I can get like a, 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 a I don't know. So I can kind of see like what I'm in for a little yeah. bit. If it's going to be the same writer, I'm like, I'm not into this, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe this had like a fully different, I don't know. I'm not going to shit on it before we get there. Yeah. But I'm just saying that this movie has soured my... It, what did it... <laughs> muds it my palate. It muds my palate. Yep. This mudded my palate. It mudded it real good. It mudded it terribly. Oh, boy. Uh, but that... That's that's what I got. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry for talking about fashion for so long, but... I, I never want you to apologize for that. I love it. <laughs> I just feel like the audience is going to be like, you were talking about horror, and then all of a sudden I was like, bell bottoms. <laughs> Which are back, and I love them. Mm, we're going to talk about this offline. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, so that wraps up our discussion of Annabelle. If you enjoyed your time with us throughout all of this. <laughs> Sorry, it was a little bit ragey. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty fired up. So we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. And then it just really is nice, nice to, to read, read what you have to say. Yeah. <laughs> and then some people like point out things that they're enjoying. And that can be helpful to say, like, oh, yeah. we'll keep doing that we'll then. Do that again. <laughs> or I'll uh, stop. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And then you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are on both at Just Cool With It. Every Wednesday, we'll post the movie for the week and generally where to find Usually. it. I didn't this week because you couldn't stream it you anywhere. You had to rent it. it. You had to rent it. Yeah. And then you can check out our extended show notes where I put links to all the things that I said I would put links to. Yep. Super fun. Sometimes and it's memes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Love that. They're memes at the top because we know what the people want. <laughs> uh, it's on our website, justcoolwithitpod.com. You could even take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash it. Do it. And we would like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. We love them so very much. They make all this possible. And their names are Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, and Kayla. Woo! Woo! We love them so much. Love you. The intro and outro music was created by Anthony Racozella, and the cover is by our very own Nikki Solomon. I'm running out of things to say when we do it. I'll never stop. I'm the baby in this elevator now. <laughs> I'm the elevator baby. <laughs> Let's end it on the best thing that happened this episode with Kate saying, I'm the elevator baby now. <laughs> oh my god, let's talk about elevator babies and bell bottoms. Yeah, yeah. It's gotta go. I'd love to see a whale. I don't. Oh, I forgot. I said that knowing and not realizing. Okay, this is fine.